this is the meat of the podcast. <laughs> Wait, have you ever have you ever caught your have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? <laughs> yeah. I'm Smith, and I live in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, for this episode, though, I'm in Oregon visiting my parents. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Please include that. Wasn't sure where that sentence was going to end. <laughs> visiting my parents, and we're back. <laughs> and we're back. All right, go ahead. I'm Lily, and I live in St. Petersburg, Russia. So what are we talking about on today's episode? <laughs> Okay, so basically today, um, we're going to do a Lily solo show, which is where I... Versus all the other shows. You, oh my god. Well, today I am planning to tell you about Soviet mid-century housing, but actually kind of just like one element of that. But actually, I decided I want to give like kind of like a... A background on the time period when like the construction of these apartments started and just sort of the general like mid-century vibe. There are these apartment buildings that are known colloquially as Khrushchevki and that is like a directly a name directly taken from Khrushchev who is Nikita Khrushchev was the general secretary of the Soviet Union for many years right after Stalin 1953 until 60 something but i'm gonna get into him a little later 64 that's where the name of the apartments came from Khrushchevki because they were built under his like initiative basically that sounds like like tchotchke today it can be a diminutive yeah in this case i don't actually know if that sounds like obviously little you can make something smaller by just adding ka at the end basically and key is just the plural. Like, it would be Hushovka is one. Oh, I see. Hushovki. There's another nickname that's a little bit more derogatory, or a lot a bit more, <laughs> which is Hushoba, with the ba at the end, because that rhymes, or like comes from the word Hushov, the man, and Trushoba, which is a word that means like slum, basically, poor okay. neighborhood. So yeah, so I wanted to talk about these this particular style of apartment buildings that was built in the Soviet Union starting in the late 50s. These types of buildings were built long after Khrushchev stopped being in power. They were built up until like the 80s, but their sort of like heyday and birth was in the 50s, late 50s. Currently, right now in Moscow, there basically is a plan to demolish like a huge number of the the Khrushchevkis that um, beginning with the ones that are basically like located in pretty central Moscow so like within the center ring it's called it's a big deal because a lot of people would be displaced if it goes through and people don't want this to happen are they um their public housing or it's just like regular housing at this point these houses were given to people so like 
it was public housing in the Soviet Union. It was public housing, yeah. Like, like basically, the state provided people with these apartments, and so like they could pass them on to whatever their kids. But like, if the dem- demolition goes through, then people will be relocated to other apartments. Like, the state will also pay for that. And do these um, apartments exist in other places besides Moscow? They exist all over all over like Russia and the former USSR. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about them because it's timely that like right now there's this discussion happening around these apartments like specifically in Moscow and so they've gotten like some attention in the press recently and people are talking about like what they mean to people more than just like the the place that they live but what they mean in terms of like Soviet and Russian history and culture. As I was like reading about them and about their history and stuff I was just reminded that like this era I think this is maybe my favorite era of Soviet history which is the thaw so like the late or the 50s to 60s wait why is it called the thaw again it's called the thaw because so Nikita Khrushchev was the general secretary uh, during this time and he became general secretary in 1953 when Stalin died this period of time is known as the thaw because basically like under him reforms like basically like a, a process of reforms that were known collectively as like de-Stalinization started to take place. Oh, right. Okay. So he, okay. yeah, things were like a little bit more lax in terms of censorship and openness to, uh, to other cultures. And like, you know, they, there's like some World Fair-esque things, Olympics, you know, all that stuff was sort of like mm-hmm. more slightly more open and more integrated within the country to a degree in terms of censorship and art and outside also with like relationships with other countries but it's not like it was just like freight up it was like it was like it was it was a matter of degrees and then that was sort of like reversed after Khrushchev under Gorbachev a famous I need my fact checker book I think that like sort of the, the the term the thaw was coined from the title of this work of art so people can just like make it up right they weren't like we're thawing right now yeah hey what does this feel like it feels like a thaw <laughs> um but it was about the, the the book what i believe is a book is about this time period um and things like like for example the day in the life of ivan denisovich is a very famous book that have you heard of that no so it was published in like i want to say 60 one 62 maybe just i'm just guessing i i'm pretty sure (laughs) one of those two years and um it's like it's like a a day in the life of of it talks about the gulag and so that's very important because like just the fact that that was allowed to be published it's like officially right not in like sami's dot which we talked about (sighs) khrushchev khrushchev key um nikita khrushchev he comes into power in 1953. He is, yeah, he's sort of like known for the thaw. He is also known for, <laughs> did you ever hear about him like banging his shoe at like a UN no. gathering? Okay, he like <laughs> took, he got really, he was making a very performative speech and he like banged his shoe on the table and a lot of people in the West like only know him for that. Okay. Um, he like took his shoe off and like hit it against the podium. <laughs> Like, while he was, like, making a point or, like, people weren't paying attention and he was, like, whacking it? I think while he was making a point. I don't know. His aim was to rail against Western colonialism, like, in Africa. Okay. So, he had a good cause. Basically, he he becomes general secretary in 1953. 
Then in 1954, so right away, he starts talking about housing as like the problem to address. Um, and the, what's like basically the, the issue is the war ended with like a lot of devastation of cities like in Europe. And basically, so you have this combination of post-war shit show combined with an issue that had existed before the war in the Soviet Union, which is just like a lack of housing, urban housing specifically. Basically, like people are like living in really unfortunate conditions because there's just they're putting like too many people in one house. Too many people. Yeah. Too many people in 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 like, yeah, in too few houses were built basically before the war. Just to give a little perspective. In 1917, so at the 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 year of the revolution, 80% of the population of, of Russia lived in villages. Like 80%. Right. A lot of people. 1961 was the year that basically 50% of the population lived in cities. So that's when you can sort of call like a, a country like urbanized. Right. Um, 50% of the population living in cities. So that's a huge shift for in not that much time and so you have like industrialization urbanization happening then the war and so yeah basically the soviet union is looking at like a, a pretty severe housing crisis okay so they're they're dealing with like the same problem that a lot of countries were dealing with at that time yeah like a lot of countries especially i mean especially like in europe where like your whole place your whole everywhere has been destroyed by the war well yeah that that but i was i was talking specifically about like the whole urbanization process was happening to like everybody where like people were flooding into cities yeah, from the yeah. countryside and yeah. they were having to like build at a really alarming rate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's also happening. One more thing, just for the background history, I mentioned de-Stalinization, but that's like a, just a really important thing to associate with Khrushchev. This is the only time you're ever going to hear about him or think about him. The other thing, the other thing that he's like, well known for is that he gave what's known as the secret speech in 1956 so that's just three years after he started leading the soviet union and the secret speech it was at the 20th party congress and it's called secret because that congress was closed to so like no guests or media or anything and the speech was basically him denouncing stalin publicly which like is a big deal and hadn't nobody did that before was he the one that like reference the cult of personality yes exactly so in the secret speech he uses that word yeah, yeah yeah exactly or that phrase the cult of personality he basically says like stalin had a cult of personality Khrushchev, like in that speech also denounced the purges specifically can you say in like one sentence what the purges are a period of time when thousands of people in the soviet union were arrested for oh my god i always forget what it's called not trotskyite Trotskyite? Sorry. Delete that. And I know you're going to include this because you always do that because you're a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> this time, delete it. The purges refer to basically the, a period in the 30s, the height of which was 1936 to 1938, peak, when thousands of people from the top of the party down through the ranks to regular people were arrested for basically being quote-unquote enemies of the state like some kind of treason charge that was fabricated in most cases and there were a couple of like fake trials okay so so this is the same thing we were talking about with pussy riot with 
with um pussy show trials pussy riot we talked about that <clears throat> with pussy riot and basically like so Khrushchev denounces that time period though Khrushchev was there and he was playing his along part. with them yeah just saying suddenly you're such a good guy <laughs> so as a result of like the secret speech which which the secret speech remains like officially secret it's not actually published officially until like the end of the soviet union 1989 but people start talking about it right away etc cetera, etc cetera. and then like the thaw the sort of more open society like kind of like people can point to the secret speech as when that started happening Okay, so now you have an idea of Khrushchev. He, in 1954, uh, this is like right, right after he starts leading, he brings up housing as like the question he wants to tackle. Like basically since, since the 1930s, the people have been saying that like one of the goals of Soviet society or like communism, once it's realized, is that every family will have their own apartment. Oh. <gasps> Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, what a utopia yeah <laughs> so so that's not i'm just pointing that out so that that had been something that like from the early soviet years people had been saying but okay. um khrushchev's of sort of the first person to be like okay let's focus on this let's like make this happen to give you a little background as i was i was explaining like this rapid urbanization just happened in 1950 there were five million people total in moscow five population of five million 50 percent of those people lived in communal apartments or dorms or like barracks, some kind of communal living situation that, you know, like workers would live in. I can't remember where that statistic or any of my statistics are from. <laughs> Reputable sources. But that's just a Straight lot of, of my people. <laughs> I made them up. So what's a communal apartment? Like briefly, so you get the idea of like what a lot of people were living in that they moved out of to go into Khrushchevki in the 50s. A communal apartment could have like four or five families in it. It was basically like each it's a, a big apartment, potentially, because you could have, like, four or five big rooms. But each family had their own room, and everything else was shared. So, like, a family has a room. Or maybe they have two rooms if they're, like, lucky. You know, like, it, it, they could vary a little bit. The kitchen would be, like, one big space with, let's say there were four families in the apartment. Each family would have their own stove, their own, like, shelf to put their stuff on, maybe, like, a wash basin... But there'd be, like, one table, probably, to sit at. And so you'd, like, take turns, like, eating at the table. Like, but people, you know, as you can imagine, it's, like, people would often overlap. And, like, <laughs> how many people would be living in this one apartment? Let's just imagine, like, a few people per family, right? Okay. So let's imagine three or four people per family. That's at least 12 people. That's not even, like, the biggest ones. And you're all sharing a bathroom, which is disgusting. So you all share a bathroom and you all share the kitchen and you all sort of share the hallway. Like often they would like open onto hallways. The, the rooms would open onto hallways. It's like a, it's like a shitty dorm situation. I just rewatched this great movie that I watched in college when I was here, when I was like um, studying at St. Petersburg State University because I took a class on this time period and it was like my favorite class. And we watched this movie called Moscow Doesn't Believe in Tears, okay. which you should watch. It's really good. I think it begins in 58 like the main characters are these three girls they're like i don't know university age or maybe just after and 
they all live together in this like girl's dorm. They live in, they live in one room together. And then it's like, what happens with their life after that? Like love and blah, blah, blah. I'm getting my dorm image pretty much solely from that. <laughs> Wait, it's a documentary or it's a movie? No, it's a movie. It's like a, it's like a Soviet movie. So like with the girls' dorms, and I know this happened in the, in the States too, but like I think earlier in the century, you know, there'd be like a dorm, like mom figure grandma figure who like doesn't let men upstairs or whatever you know what i mean like Like a boarding house situation like a boarding house yeah like boys will call and like they have to like all the calls go through this one grandma lady (laughs) (laughs) Um, so yeah you you have a lot of people living in these sort of like communal-esque situations but but there is a like there's a class distinction in that like another sort of facet of housing called department housing it's like provided by your workplace and so like members of the intelligentsia like what's that called is that what it's called intelligentsia um you know like a professor's family or a like a scientist doctor like they could be living in a private apartment and you know like have a totally different situation Mm. and like in this movie again to take from all my real life knowledge these girls all are like working class like one works in a factory one works in like a bread factory <laughs> but once for bread <laughs> once for bread and once for little pieces of bent metal <laughs> uh, the bread factory sounds much better the bread one sounds better yeah yeah it's really like appealing to see like so much bread just like funneling through our factory imagine in the 50s when Khrushchev starts talking like about we need to like you know make a budget and do this we need to solve this housing problem a lot of people want their own fucking space and that's what Khrushchev key like promised to do basically technically these apartments which I'll describe in just a minute like what they look like and everything they were technically supposed to be like temporary housing while communism was being fulfilled which Rousseau, okay. which Rousseau was like, that'll happen <laughs> in like sad. 20 years. I know, but it's, it is sad. Oh, so, he, so idealistic. Some people, yeah, he, like, I think 20 is probably like the shortest term that anyone ever gave from that, from like the mid-century. But yeah, he, yeah, like they were originally intended to be temporary, right, with this like vision of like a glowing communist future, one family, one apartment, everyone's happy. <laughs> it's really the rock bed of communism. <laughs> One apartment, one family. I I came across this like this line somewhere in one of the things I was reading that like it was almost like in parentheses or something like the reason that the Soviet Union didn't solve their housing crisis the way like other Western countries solved it after the war, like by building a bunch of suburbs like little houses, mm-hmm. was like because building separate private houses was like ideologically contradictory to. To, to Soviet ideology. Yeah. I don't know if I believe that. I think th- I could see how that argument could be made, but I don't really see how. I mean, I could see how the argument could be made that s- suburbs are ideologically opposed to like Soviet ideology, ideology, but I don't 
know if obviously if that's the actual reason and then also how does how do apartments make that okay like you're still separated into your own boxes you're just like closer to the box next to you yeah and and well then I thought about it and I thought maybe they're talking about just not ideology really but like the or it's kind of an ideology of like economizing like it's cheaper to put people in in apartments and like make everything smaller and less space and like take up less resources and that could be like con- that could be conceived of as ideological yeah but that also just sounds capitalist oh yeah interesting yeah and like practical the whole story of Khrushchev is about being practical and economizing and being compact and being like simple and like no frills that's like the whole thing so basically Khrushchev is like obsessed with that he's obsessed with functionality he's obsessed with saving money and like making this be like the most like he doesn't want this solution to like be more expensive than communal apartments he's basically like i want it to be like the same don't ask me how that math works but he certainly put like the brightest and best minds on that work to make it happen so the solution to this big crisis and everything is going to be these very plain five-story buildings um why are they five stories? Because it's so we get that it's they're an apartment building because of some kind of economizing ideology that I'm unclear on. But why five stories is because um, it's more expensive and takes longer to build an elevator. Okay. And basically, it was agreed, the scientific community agreed that like you could have up to five stories without an elevator. Okay. People could walk. The scientific <laughs> community. I don't know. Some officials agree that that was like the limit. That's five stories. Okay. The thing about Hushovki and like there's 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 several series, like different models kind of, but they're all like this, is that they're totally no frill. Like there's just nothing like happening. They're just like brick boxes. Like at least the first series was also made without balconies. It's just like super, super plain. Just like mm-hmm. a box with windows. And um like narrow staircases everything was basically created with the goal of saving space especially in cities like moscow and st petersburg especially st petersburg that was in sharp contrast with the other types of architecture that already existed before that and like under stalin like stalin built all like very sort of ornately well fairly ornate buildings that's the facades were fairly ornate under stalin and tall ceilings, yeah, yeah, like big tall ceilings. And like Khrushchevki were known for, yeah, like super, super plain exterior, lower ceilings inside, smaller rooms. Have you been in one before? Yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, a lot of them, yeah. Oh. So so Khrushchevki, as I mentioned in the beginning, like there are a bunch of them that are currently within like the Moscow city center like ring limit. In Petersburg, they are more like a suburb thing. Like, in the in the historical center, you you don't really see them, or you don't at all. Are you able to recognize them on the spot? Yeah. Okay. Like, if I see a, a an ugly five story building, chances are it's a Hushovka. Okay. Like, it's not like. Yeah, I mean, and and it's not the the divide between center and suburbs is a little bit weird here because of the fact that like. Um, they, it's not like how in the U.S. you have like tall buildings and then you have like little houses with little yards or something. Well, that's the East Coast, I guess, because it's more just like beautiful things 
and then really ugly things <laughs> that make <laughs> the suburbs look. So the suburbs can have like a lot of tall buildings and stuff. Yeah, like uh, like take St. Petersburg for example. The downtown area, the city center is like these very beautiful facades and different they're different pale pastel colors and the canals and the ornate and everything da 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 and then like you just go a little bit outside of that and you could say Hushovki but you still they're still low everything's low Hushovki like in Petersburg for example were built like a little bit outside of that center ring but like at the time that might have been called suburbs but now probably some of them are totally like within what people would call like the city or okay. they would feel like they're in the city. They wouldn't okay. be like, I'm in a suburb. They'd be like, I'm in the city. And then, like, starting in, like, the 80s, they started building these, like, even worse monstrosities, which are, like, 10, 20-story yeah. towers. And that's what. And that was just, like, they just, like, go to a big open field that was, like, farmland yeah. and, like, build monstrosities. And, like, <laughs> maybe a metro station would open there eventually. And yeah. those are called, in Russian, those are called, like, sleeping neighborhoods, sleepy neighborhoods. Well, yeah, we have that. We have that term also, bedroom community. We do. Yeah. Wait, what is it? We do. Bedroom community. Bedroom. What does that even mean? I think it means the same thing. Where it's a suburb where people just like go to sleep. Oh my god, people ask me all the time if there's a translation of that. And I'm like, nope. <laughs> one two or three bedroom apartments like various sizes all of them again like are smaller than the previous standards for those types of apartments and when I say one two three I don't mean three bedrooms sorry I mean one two three room just like a thing here which just means that like the total number of rooms including like kitchen living room bathroom no I think I think kitchen and bathroom are separate but like you wouldn't have like a living room or something okay okay and also, like, like Hushovki will have, like, the, not all the time, but, like, the toilet sometimes in the same room as the bathroom, which is, like, not always a thing here. Like, many places have the toilet separate from the bathroom. So the thing about Hushovki is that, so, like, of course, Hushov doesn't build them himself. He hires, like, architects and people who build things. The model they use is, like, a prefabricated, you build everything at the factory or whatever, and then you just, like, transport it over to the site and just, like, plop it down. Like, boop, boop, boop. And they would, like, build it, like, floor by floor, just various ways, but panel. It's, like, panel housing. And so they made really cheaply with, like, concrete and then, like, a brick exterior. Legend say, says that Khrushchevki could be built, the first series, K7, could be built in five days, a building. <laughs> but that's, like, the record, I think. And, like, the the more normal period would be like a couple weeks and like up to 45 days but basically just a shit ton like these buildings are are mass produced these like um prefabricated panel buildings and built all over the place and like like i think the numbers i have i don't have a total number for how many were built but 
um, I think it was between like 61 and 68 in Moscow alone, there were like 62,000 units built. Units being being individual buildings or, or, or units within each building? I think probably within because 62,000 buildings sounds like too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say unit means apartment. Um, That's some good cell usage. My cell works very fast. Have a, do you have a visual of the building now? Gray block. Yeah. That's yeah. All. Being built with like, like smooth. I'm picturing like smooth on the exterior. It looks pretty smooth from far away, but it's like it's like unfinished brick. Right. But I, I mean smooth in that like nothing is jutting out from it. So it's just like yeah. uniformly shaped. Yeah. Beautiful. So smooth. <laughs> um, yeah, and like the thing is, like the of course now they look even shabbier because it's been like a minute. Um, Wait, so so like people move into these and are they excited about it or are they like I don't know what the fuck? No, no, no. Right. So sorry. So yeah. So these are being built on a mass scale. I mentioned in the beginning, starting in the late fifties and like fifty seven, I think they started, but throughout the rest of the of Soviet era. But yeah, like in that time period, in that heyday under Khrushchev when these are being built and there's all this like sort of propaganda around it. Um, yeah, people are excited as fuck because like the government's like, oh, I'm going to give you this apartment for your family and you don't have to live in a communal apartment anymore. Here you go. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that sounds actually better, even if the apartment is kind of shitty. Yeah. So the the concept of like private space had and potentially continues to have yet to be like developed on a wide scale people are able to just like regular people are able to like have their own space even if it means that they're still like sharing rooms or something basically the rule i think was the standard was you you had to have uh, like if you have a three-room apartment then you can have four people and a two-room apartment you can have three people like that but of course, people didn't follow those standards. That was like what the government said. But then, like, what would what would happen in reality is that, like, you know, you would get your Khrushchevka in, in Moscow or whatever, and then like your like village relatives are like, "Oh, we're gonna send Susie there," but Susie's named Masha, <laughs> and and they're like, "We're like, oh, she needs to go to university. Can she just like stay in your apartment?" And they'd be like, fuck, I hate family. And then, like, <laughs> oh, and then, like, not the, not K7, but another model, I think, they actually had, like, a, a storage space, like a closet, which Ooh. is a luxury. And yeah. people, like, apparently people would just, like, have people, like, live in there. And they'd be like, like that would be grandma's room. <laughs> <laughs> but basically, you'd, yeah, you'd have, like, multi-generations. So you ended up having, I'm sure most people had more than that, like, limit thing that, like, standard listen apparently they like went to germany to like get the plans for these apartments for this like five-story kind of building and so it wasn't even like event invented in the soviet union and they like took like the plan for like the apartment and at least in the first series but they just like basically left everything the same but then they just like took away the closet they're like soviet people don't need closets <laughs> Because, okay, so the other thing about this time period and this obsession with, like, compactness and obsession with saving space, there's also an obsession with, like, st a standardization on, like, a almost, like, ridiculously minute sc scale. And, like, the example I can give, it's not just, like, the houses are standard, the apartments are standard, right, the shape and everything. 
how the furniture should be placed in the apartment. Oh, damn. Wait, does the furniture come with the apartment? It either comes with it or, like, basically, maybe it's not that it... I'm not sure that the apartments were furnished. I feel like they might have been, but it would be, like, oh, the the furniture that's then developed at that time is, like, made for those apartments specifically, and they're, like, made to fit into it a certain way, and you should, like, arrange it that way to, like, a ridiculous degree. Like, oh, there was this this architect i can't remember his name who like he was also experimenting with making houses out of plastic full plastic and he like even like detailed that like the residents when they move in will receive a special kind of glue so that they can because you won't be able to put nails in the walls because they're plastic but you could glue like hooks onto the walls (laughs) just like but, but the plastic the plastic things were never built i think he built like experiment ones but okay I think that that goes into the realm of, like, fantasy architecture in the Soviet Union. Like, architecture that was, like, planned and even, like, experimented with, but then not built on a, a mass scale or, like, not built at all. Remember when we talked about Pussy Riot, there was supposed to be a giant tower with, like, stall- with Lenin on top of it built on yeah. top of the Christ Church. Yeah. So, Christ Savior. That's, like, in that realm as well. It was never built, but there's, like, drawings of it. Okay. Um, Is that something that happens a lot specifically in the Soviet Union? I would say probably because, like, I don't even know if people, if artists were just doing that of their own accord or if they were just, like, envisioning, like, the the great communist future. But, yeah, I would I could see that as being, like... Okay, because, like, communism was idealistic and optimistic. It was, like, we just, like, spend a lot of time envisioning what our future is going to be like. And part of that was architecture. Yeah, like, especially there would be, like, specific journals that would have, like, like technology of the future or whatever, or, like, technology uh, okay. journals. Yeah, yeah that, that is that is kind of, like, speculative fiction, except they didn't necessarily think it was fiction, I guess. Not only was furniture being made to fit a certain standard way, but, like, a lot of, like, furniture was multifunctional, which, it like, looks or sounds really cool. Basically, it would be, like, like, a writing desk that you, like, pull down the desk and it becomes a bed pictures that i've seen though from the mid-century furniture it's not like the furniture doesn't look futuristic in a sense of like spaceships or something it looks like mid-century like modern it looks nice it looks good i don't know if that's just like the designs or like what actually was produced because i mean i know that like that was always a problem was like the actual quality of what was produced was always worse than the plants that like i don't know just that it so wait hold on um that entire it's just like I just keep thinking Ikea when you keep explaining this stuff. Oh, yeah. I can see why you think of Ikea. Because Ikea has, like, furniture that, like, you put together. Well, yeah, it's like you assemble it. It's meant to be, like, kind of lightweight and can be packed up in a very small box. You go to Ikea and they're like, here's what a kitchen looks like. And they're like, just buy the whole thing. It already goes together. The Scandinavian version. Yeah. Yeah, which is, like, less oppressive. (laughs) Because in Ikea, you have a choice of five different kitchens, Smith. It's very... <laughs> it's a lot. Um, no, but yeah. Yeah, I, that's, a good, that's a good parallel, I think. This is like one of my favorite 
eras of like everyday life history to look at the whole the whole like concept and the images produced from it of like controlling a person's like a citizen's life down to the most minute detail it's just like so mind-blowing like there were people like going about calculating how much space a human needs at minimum to do like basic functional things every day by basic functions i mean like how much space do you need to put your jacket on in the foyer how much space do you need to wash dishes how much space do you need to go to the bathroom to climb into the tub like yeah and there's like drawings and stuff of like a person doing all these things and that was used to sort of like inform designs of both the layout and the furniture and everything and like of course the minimum was chosen (laughs) yeah like to sit down at your table there's like some very small amount of space to be able to like pull the chair back (laughs) and there wasn't any like consideration of like how much space does a person need to feel good yeah no the germany thing is like floating around but i think it's i mentioned that because like like it had been established in germany in like the 1870s by like some guys probably people (laughs) probably men that like a human needed nine square meters minimum or something of like living space it's nothing but in reality people had like less than that at different eras wait is nine square meters is like about 27 square feet which is like a little over five feet on each side in the 20s in the soviet union like Obviously, people had different amounts of space depending on they were living in the country, in the city, whatever. But overall, like the average based on overcrowding in cities was 5.8 meters squared. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that people are living in like coffins. It just means like that's how you describe the, how crowding like works in terms of individual space. Right. But I mean, it almost doesn't make sense to talk about it in that like per person concept because they aren't they don't have their individual space. They're living in communal settings. Right. It's just sort of just for the shock value. It doesn't actually mean that they have like a little box that's five square meters or six square meters, because if they had that box, that would even be nice. their response to these things after like are people in there for five years and they're like okay are we gonna get our new communist houses or or does it just are people like oh well this is never gonna happen and then the soviet union falls and then people are just still living in these homes i think as i said before people a lot of people if they're coming from a communal setting were definitely like happy to have their own space even if it was still crowded people like lived there with multiple generations for multiple generations since that time yeah and continue to live there so apparently there were like two classes like i think that they were all potentially temporary but one was like very temporary class and the other was like more permanent and the very temporary ones have already been demolished like a lot of them have been demolished okay and i think that's um where we're gonna come to in moscow which is like the last few thousand of those the government has been like trying to demolish for a while and people just like won't let them. Oh, the the ones in that they want to demolish now are also supposed to be uber temporary ones. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're of that class, yeah. Wait, I just want to tell a little anecdote that I was watching a documentary about these and like it, it was so great because it like interviewed all these architects and um 
what do you call professors, I guess? Like, you don't call them scientists, though. You call them scientists in Russian. Like, academics about architecture and stuff. And constructy people. But basically, they were, the in the documentary, they're interviewing all the different, like, people who actually worked on these projects. Like, they're older now. Like, I love it because a couple of them are women. I, I know that's, like, maybe that's, like... I don't know. I I associate that with like a particular like that's like a phenomenon of the Soviet Union that there would yeah. be like women high up in like engineering and construction and stuff. But one woman who is an architect, one of the lead architects was like or some some basically when they're making the stairwells or something or like measuring the stair how big the stairwells would be in these apartments, they realized that like you couldn't fit a coffin down the stairwell. <laughs> she's like telling this whole thing about how like how in like in other places it had been to have they had like figured out a way around that or something and at like at the end of her little spiel about the coffin she's like and we just decided okay can't take the coffin out but only if you hold it horizontally and she's like the person they lived a good life in their new apartment we can make the coffin vertical (laughs) and we bring it down the stairs i just loved how she said like specifically connected their good life to living in one of those apartments right Right. (laughs) but another interesting phenomenon of this time period is that like in this obsession with compactness and plainness and um utility functionality uh architects like the role of architects was like severely diminished basically it was like architects were considered like frivolous like bourgeois and mm. the constructor <laughs> builders <laughs> were like were elevated to the status of like the most important person on the project basically uh, that's um, kind of cool actually yeah well and like one well, of the guys just like the elevation of manual labor i think is important yeah though i mean the leaders weren't actually like laboring themselves but um okay all right so like like one of the heads of the construction crew or whatever was interviewed and of a construction crew and he was like yeah it was like weird we would like tell the architects what to do be like no we can't do that you have to change it <laughs> like they you would have determine to remove what it. was like they like we yeah because it had have to be like whatever was most efficient for construction. <laughs> Like when when I'm talking about it in in, in sort of the mid century setting, it feels like I'm talking about something that's like past and you know I don't know not relevant anymore. But like people very much live in these apartments. Some I mean some of them have been refurbished inside. Some of them have even actually had the exteriors like totally redone so they look nice. Mm. Um, that's like not that common a thing but like that was one thing i read about in in this whole demolition conflict like if residents of a building were able to if they could get together enough money like there have been cases where all the residents of a building get together and then they like fund the refurbishing of it and so they want to demolish even those no i think they don't want to demolish those because they're like up to standard or something okay i want you to talk about times that you've been in them the person that i live with that i share an apartment with has one he doesn't live there maybe it's his family's like i don't know the story of it wait you walk in there's like a closet space on the right there's like a little room 
that they use as looks like a study, but it could be a tiny bedroom. And then there's like a main living area and a tiny kitchen. I think that they've redone the interior of theirs because it's laid out more like um naturally. Yeah, it has more of like a living room and bedroom separation. Are the ceilings noticeably low? No, because the ceilings aren't low for like Americans. So it's not noticeable oh, to me. Nice. Yeah, like ceilings like when in in some of the older buildings are really high. 3.2 meters would be a really high one. Yeah, okay. that's like n- over 9 right. feet. Yeah. And yeah, then yeah. like the Hushovki And the Hushovki could would be like 2.5 meters high. So it's not that it's not like low. Let me wrap up our story with the demolition. When I said that like the class classification of like super disposable or super temporary ones um was were doing demolished, I think I was wrong about that. I think that's the ones that have already been mostly demolished in Moscow as of 2012. But the most recent news is as of February 2017 this year, it was announced that like a ton of buildings in Moscow were planned for demolition. I have written down up to 8K build, 8,000 buildings. Seems like a lot. But I know for sure that the population of potentially displaced people is 1.6 million. That's a lot of okay. people to resettle, basically. Um, and so along with like... So there have been big protests, basically, since February, fairly regularly in Moscow against this demolition and like some of the main concerns people have like why people don't want to leave the Khrushchevki it's not because they're like oh I think it's like it's the best building ever but like there there is an element I think of um you know like a nostalgia and like this is my home element which is very like sort of basic and obvious and understandable there's a nostalgia for there's also like a nostalgia or like a you know appreciation and awareness that this is an important part of the past and represents Soviet history for a, a large number of people. There's also that, but then there are these like really also very practical reasons. Like, let's say that you get rehoused, the government's going to provide you with another apartment after they demolish your building. They could give you an apartment in some like bumfuck, like out of town place that's like a 15 minute or more walk or bus ride to the metro you know what I mean like you're in no way guaranteed that the location of your new apartment will be like convenient at all or anywhere near where you are okay so that's a huge that's a huge deal for people because um one of the things I mentioned in the beginning is that like uh a lot of these apartments that are getting ready for demolition, actually the ones that are on sort of the the first list, top list or whatever, um, they are, yeah, they're like in Moscow, like in within the the like city limit. And that just means that like, sure, these buildings are pretty rough looking now, but it, they're on really valuable real estate. And so people are not only pissed about being relocated to somewhere that's inconvenient for them, um, and being taken away from the center of Moscow, but they're also pissed about like not being sort of compensated for being removed from really valuable land and, you know, never seeing anything from that. But right. that's like, but that's also kind of questionable because it's like, well, you got that apartment for free. 
Yeah, but but at this point, I mean, their like great grandparents got it for free, right? Maybe or their grandparents or their parents, depending on what year it was. Yeah. I think that all the reason there's a lot of good reasons for why people wouldn't want to be displaced. As I've spent the whole episode describing, these apartment buildings aren't just like apartment buildings. They they're part of a whole social cultural phenomenon and piece of history that like was really really wide scale which just means that like a lot of people's lives were affected at once like in sort of a similar way like this this um this creation of like some level of privacy for regular people and people are hesitant to let go of that it's not that they're letting go of that i think it's not like they're going to be put back into communal apartments. No, no I understand. There hasn't been letting go of that, like, history. Yeah, and I think, well, I think that, I think that history and, and, like, the fact of the importance of these buildings is, like, something that just sort of gives more weight to the other general and very important reasons for why people don't want to be relocated in general. Like, yeah. it just adds another dimension because it's this, like, mass scale. It's, like, you could be in, like, a lot of different cities and countries all around the Soviet Union and live in this kind of building. <laughs> okay. All right. So my so body update. what your body update is. Gonna head on down to the beach today. Surf all my girl props away. Cause all I wanna do is cry. Ask Mother Nature why, why, why. Listen to the cramps on my stereo. I started dancing again yesterday. Like, and I went to like two classes in a row. So it was like four hours of dancing straight and i'm just in like a lot of pain right now like full body pain and like it's the kind of thing i mean it's not pain when i'm sitting but it's pain whenever i move but it's like the kind of thing where like every muscle is sore and you just try to do basic things like any literally anything like i sat down on the toilet like of course we're gonna bring up the toilet and i'm just like ah like it feels like doing a squat or something it really hurts and like moving my arms i don't know my muscles are sore oh your poor muscles it's because i'm not in the shape though that's kind of annoying to me because or not annoying but i've been doing yoga this whole time oh and what yoga is it is it enough i guess not Guess not. Guess not. <sighs> Smith is a very big fan of yoga. I feel neutral about yoga. Now. Some might call it fanatic. People do it. <laughs> An addict of yoga. Wait, what? You now you're neutral? It's not a hate thing anymore. I just don't like hearing people talk about yoga all the time. Fair, fair enough. That's it for our short little baby episode. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes and you can follow us on social media, both on Twitter and Instagram at She's in Russia. Our theme music is Shit Happens by Tierra Lack.